looking for a way to get your foot in the door instead of just saying, you know, I'm going to just start out producing and directing my own movies. Exactly, exactly. That's the flawed mindset that a lot of film students have. Another flawed mindset a lot of film students have is they only want to know about, this is going to sound ironic coming from me, but they only want to know about (laughs) film stuff. Like, they're unwilling to learn anything outside of film stuff. So I try to purposely distance myself from that mindset by taking mathematics classes and uh, psychology and that sort of thing. I mean, that is ironic. You literally just said two minutes ago that I don't think about anything but film. (laughs) Welcome to the 51st episode of the Horror Explorer podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they may have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on VHS-era horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of, and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since. I'm your host, my name is Mike, and with me this week I've got the same three people I have every week. I've got, from the Great White North, Jordan. Hey, everybody. From Australia, we have Alicia. Hi, everyone. And from Northwestern University in Chicago, Critical Dave. Hello. So before we get started with this week's movie, we've got another screener to talk about. A screener anymore is an advanced digital copy of a movie that's given to us by someone promoting the project in hopes that we'll talk about it on the show. Even though we are a podcast that focuses on older horror movies, horror is a community, right? We're all horror fans, so we're happy that people are out there making new stuff. All the old stuff that we talk about every week used to be new stuff when it started out. So we should use a couple of minutes of our podcast to help these fledgling artists out by promoting their projects. But instead of doing that, we give the screeners to Dave. Dave, tell us about what you saw this week. Okay. Uh, That's a very good description, Mike. But I saw this week Romeo's Distress by a guy named Jeff Frumess. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, as usual. F-R-U-M-E-S-S from 2016 to 2017. It's coming out in a few days. It will probably come out around the time this review of it comes out. But it's a feature film running roughly... 80 minutes. And it's about a guy who lives at home with his grandmother and his uncle, who seems to be his only friend. And he's obsessed with this girl named Jane. And I forget the boy's name. I don't know if he ever has a name, but I'll just call him the main character. The main character is obsessed with this girl named Jane. And he keeps trying to do things in order to get with her. And at one point, the main conflict within the film comes from a, a group of people that are attacking and harassing the main character for some reason, likely regarding his involvement or attempt to be involved with Jane. So the mystery of the film is about how this guy is going to deal with this and why are these people who work under this corporation called the Umbrella Corporation, how are they, like, what are their motivations? Why are they going after this guy? And that is the quote-unquote twist of the film. But let, let me talk about it a little bit in terms of quality. The first thing that hits me, it comes 38 seconds into the film. And what hits me is there's an edit. When you edit pieces of film to, uh, no, together, you cut from one shot to the next. However, occasionally... Help! Help! It's happening! The attack is on! 
Uh, so occasionally you will, uh, it, during, during the editing process, a clip will not sl- exactly match the next clip. So it, the ends of the clips won't touch and there will be a little frame in between the clips that is just nothing, just black. And that can be used for effect, but Normally what the editor does is he goes through the whole timeline and makes sure that none of those little holes, those little gaps are there. And 38 seconds in, there's a frame of black between the edits. And it's jarring and sloppy. And not everyone will recognize it for what it is, but it will definitely jar everyone out of the film. I had to go rewatch that segment to make sure it wasn't me blinking or something. Dave, Dave. If you're 38 seconds into the film, how deep are you in it to begin with? I know, but it shouldn't. <laughs> if you're watching a movie and something makes a terrible mistake 38 seconds into the film, you're not going to be motivated to keep watching the movie. If you see something that, that that is that sloppy that early in the film, you won't want to watch the rest of the film. You understand? Well, I guess by using the royal you, you're really referring to you, so I don't think yeah. that shut most people down. Yeah, but it's just like a little thing that like jars you out of the film, and it's not trying to do that. It's trying to have you immersed in this world, but it's reminding you that it's a film. So that was just a mistake that really stood out to me. And another thing was, and I'll go into the reason behind this later, but the film felt like, a disconnected series of segments that just happened to involve the same characters. And after I watched this film, I realized that this production company has made a lot of other shorts. So I decided to check out these shorts out of curiosity to see if they were all similar to this one. And much to my surprise, all of the shorts were basically segments of this film. So this film is one cohesive narrative, but it feels very disjunctive and disconnected because of basically what this guy is doing, Jeff Frumas, is he's taking his shorts, he's taking ideas from his shorts and putting them into the film. So, for example, some some moments in the film are edited like music videos, and the music doesn't fit tonally. The music videos go on for far, far, far too long and just come off as filler, and they're not entertaining in the least, nor are they well shot. So... I've looked back into these short films and I found exactly the same thing. And it's, I, I hate to use this word, but it's very cringeworthy. But also something else interesting I should discuss is the narrative itself. So we have been asked not to disclose the twist at the end of the film. And because they asked that, I was slightly on guard for a twist of some sort. So 15 minutes and 39 seconds into the film, I write down what I think the twist is going to be. And unfortunately, that was the whole conceit of the film. The film has nothing to it aside from the twist. And if the twist is that easy to figure out, then we can guess it in under 16 minutes into a 80 minute film, then you need to insert other details in the film to make it worth watching aside from just the twist. So would you guys agree or disagree with me on that? You haven't seen this, but no, no, it's as usual. We just leave it to you and then you tell us about the movie. 
Uh, knowing, knowing you, I don't agree with anything you said just because I know how you overreact <laughs> to everything. But you would agree that if a twist is revealed in the first 16 minutes and the twist is the only thing driving the narrative forward, then the whole film is going to feel wandery if there is nothing else to the film. If you say so, Dave. I mean, I haven't seen the film, so I don't know that that's actually what takes place. Okay, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to concede anything to you when I haven't even seen the movie. Right, right. Okay, okay. I was just going to say a general thing. But you're, 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 you're looking for support as you eviscerate yeah. this uh, small filmmaker. You're I mean, trying to I'm tag, trying you're to trying to tag people in. <laughs> they can I mean, join in the beating. I'm just giving my reaction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of, sure. Since I, I feel like I'm being a little mean right now, something positive I thought. <laughs> what? 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 Just <laughs> carry on, Dave. Carry uh, on. It, it's impressive to complete a feature, to be able to complete a feature with a budget of, I believe it was $2,553. And I don't remember the timeline in which, under which it was shot. I know it was relatively short period of time they had they didn't have all that much so given those constraints the fact that they were able to finish uh what could be called a feature film is very impressive and it's a good thing so uh, these people this movie very much reminds me of bad taste by peter jackson so you you remember bad taste mike right yeah 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 so bad taste terrible one out of ten movie but guess who made it Peter Jackson. So Romeo's Distress, same thing, but it's their first feature to my knowledge. So it's something that can be built upon and it, it it's a very confidence boosting thing to complete a feature. So I'm very proud of these filmmakers for actually completing the feature. And even though they had to incorporate aspects of previously created shorts into the feature in order to create it. So that's that's a positive thing. Okay? Okay, Mike, I'm not just tearing them apart. Just a little bit contrived, but carry on, <laughs> Dave. Okay. Anyway, anyway. So, so another thing that was kind of jarring to me were the performances because none of the performances are good. They all feel like actors reading lines and tonally and emotionally the Characters, when they speak, it feels as if they're just responding to a director saying, be angry, be X emotion. None of their emotions ever have layers, if that makes sense. And some of the performances are just flat out awful. For example, there is a character, a bully character, that's what I had his name down as, who continually beats up and harasses the main character. And... This character, he tries to like shout and be intimidating, but his shouts all sound like they're muffled, which isn't a sound recording thing. It's the actor himself trying to not be too loud. And I'm unsure why any actor would try to restrain their volume. It's just, it's my fault. The twist is he's gay. (laughs) Also, I'm sure you would love this film for this reason, Mike. It's in black and white. However, however, the black and white is entirely unmotivated. The black and white is set up in contrast to occasionally this main character has dream sequences or like daydream fantasy sequences in which he imagines himself with the girl. But, and th- those sequences are in color and super saturated. But 
the rest of the film is in black and white, and there's no real reason for it to be in black and white. So that kind of bothered me. I'm very much for black and white films, but it just feels very unmotivated. And I looked at all their other shorts. All their other shorts are in black and white. So it just leads me to believe that they just like shooting things in black and white for whatever reason. And to me, that reads as pretentious. And if something reads as pretentious to me, then what can I say? Then you give it a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Yeah, you know it. You know it. But... Yeah, that's relatively it. It's very slow, very wandering, and not very interesting because the twist, it's the most obvious thing possible. So it's even if you've only seen like one or two horror movies before or one or two of any movies before, it's like somebody saying, don't think of a pink elephant as you watch the movie. So what are you going to think of? You're going to think of a pink elephant. You, when you're making a movie, you don't want to draw the person's attention to what your twist is going to be. You, But also, you don't want to draw them in the opposite direction. You need to misdirect them. Because if you've just drawn the opposite direction, then we're wired to think in the direction that we're being motivated <laughs> to not think in. Okay? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it was predictable, slow, and boring, but I applaud them for creating a feature under their budget and time restrictions. All right. So there you have it. Let this be a lesson to anyone else who would (laughs) would think think that it's a good idea to send us a screener. That's two in a row. Yeah, but it did win some awards. It on the at the Macabre Fair Film Festival, it won Best Screenplay and it was nominated for Best Feature, Best Director, and Best Actor. So take my advice with a grain of salt. Oh yeah, like I wasn't already doing that. <laughs> Alright, so every week I make these three folks watch an older or more obscure movie that most people their age might not be familiar with. Usually a movie that I happen to like. And that's because the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed. Now, this one here is a little older than 30 years, I think. Yeah, this week Mike had us watch uh, Cannibal Ferox, which I uh, it's related to Cannibal Holocaust. It's the same director, yes? No. No. Oh, it was I'm a ripoff of Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, so it's actually a, rip- <laughs> a full-on ripoff then. All right, my mistake. Anyways, I had seen Cannibal Holocaust. I've I had heard of this, but I had not actually seen this one. Had you guys seen it before? I hadn't seen this one before. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust before. It did feel like a total ripoff, but when I looked it up on IMDb, it looked like uh, Ferox came out just a year after Cannibal Holocaust. Is that? Yeah, that's correct. So, but how did they make the film and release it within a year? Maybe it wasn't the ripoff that we're all assuming it was. Did you get the impression that it, it took a great deal of time to make this movie, Alicia? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the same thing. But it on. takes more I than a year, it, doesn't it, to film and edit and release a film? No. You know it does, Alicia, but I feel like this film, they just wanted to churn something out super fast to cash in on the Italian video nasty trend. Right. So, yeah, me, me and Dave have seen this before. Actually, I believe this was supposed to be episode number eight of the Horror Explorer podcast when uh our co-host just said, F it and quit. And it was just me and Dave. We had to find somebody else. And we replaced him with another Australian who was with us for a while named Matt. And then when we did episode eight with Matt, we decided to do something totally different. So me and Dave have watched this for a podcast once, but we never really did a podcast on it. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I've seen it twice 
before, and I just saw it twice within the last two days as well. So that's four times total, which is quite a lot for this movie. So why do you watch it twice, Dave? Well, I watched it once, but I wasn't in, I was really tired and had a few too much to drink. So I, um, wasn't able to take the best notes on it. So I watched it again before recording this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I almost didn't have to watch it, but I did anyways, cause I'm that committed. Cannibal yeah, Ferox revolves around an anthropology student and a couple of other young adults that travel to the jungles of Paraguay. Or they say Paraguaya, and I don't know if that's just what Italians call it or if they were trying to make it a fictional country. I think it's it never helps. too clear on that. Yeah. So they move, they, they head out there to prove that cannibalism is a myth. When they arrive, they meet a couple of other Americans who are in the midst of a cocaine-fueled sadistic rampage. When the natives get the upper hand, they all have to suffer the consequences. So we'll see what they have to say about Cannibal Ferox right after this. If you'd like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com, or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer, and you can follow us on our Twitter account, at horrorexplorer. All right, we're back. Let's see what they think of the movie. Dave, why don't you start us off? Okay, so as usual, I'm going to start us off with the opening. So you'll see that this opening contrasts greatly with that of Cannibal Holocaust, because instead of opening with long helicopter shots of a forest, we open up on long shots of a city. And this movie does everything that Cannibal Holocaust does, except it's less subtle and much more explicit. So here we open with like jazz synth music over the Statue of Liberty. Disco? Okay. If you notice the Italian movies that we've watched, you know, these video nasties and stuff like that, the cannibal movies, I've noticed they are all obsessed with New York City. They've got to find a way to shoehorn New York City into everything. Even though you're doing a movie about a tropical island full of zombies, New York City. You're doing a movie about cannibals in the jungle, New York City. Just about any Italian movie you watch, they've got shots of New York City. And I don't know what the deal is with that, but this one does it too. But immediately, this music seems far too upbeat for the tone that I presume a movie called Cannibal Ferox is going for. For example, in Cannibal Holocaust, we get this, like, deep, creepy, like, pew-pew music. But in this movie, the music is, like like you said, disco, fun, party, jazz music. And that's a little weird. It was a little off-putting. And throughout this whole film, I wasn't really a fan of the music, and I didn't fully understand what it was going for. It just felt really abrasive. And not really for any particular reason. Yeah, the music in this, it's like New York City scene, boom, New York music. Upbeat, disco, here we go. Lots of bustling action and stuff like that. and Traffic everywhere, and here's the New York music. And then into the jungle, we got the scary, here's the jungle music. And it just uses these, these maybe, there's maybe three or four different musical tracks that it uses to indicate something throughout the movie. Like you didn't already know they made a transition to the city. You have to have the city music to go with it. And it's the same riff over and over and over again. It's the exact same played played from the first beat as it was before. It's not like it picks up where it left off or something. They go back to the city. You get It's exactly what it sounds like. And that's what you get the whole time they're in New York. And then you go to the jungle and you get whatever the jungle music was. And I've noticed all these Italian movies do the exact same shit. They've got the New York City music and then the location where shit's going on music. It's really bizarre. It's almost like the music is more a part of the scenery and the backdrop rather than 
incidental to like the plot or what's going on in the story like a score should be and typically is like think about the burbs and how well the burbs does sound cues and music cues for characters and everything that's going on and then this all it is is just like that one track and the track goes with where the location not with the action that's exactly what i would say as well it just it feels like it should be diegetic music because it's that jarring. Cannibal Holocaust does it much better because it has the creepy music in the forest, but then, or jungle, but then when we cut to the city, we just, we don't get any music. We just get like city noises, which is fine and keeps the tone relatively the same. But yeah, I've noticed this as well with Italian video nasties. They seem to have an obsession with the big city or urban landscape, but it's almost never really significant to the theme. In Cannibal Holocaust, it is because it's all about who's the real bad people. Is it the city people or is it the cannibals? You know? Anyway, something else that ties this movie to Cannibal Holocaust is the like gritty cinema verite, like pseudo-documentary style of cinematography. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes. That's some language you got there. What the fuck is cinema verite? It's like pseudo-documentary style. It, like, looks... The footage is very gritty and, like, grimy and looks like it could have been made on, like, a home video camera. And I don't know if that was a stylistic choice here or if it was just the camera they happened to have access to. Well, it's not like they were playing a a found footage angle in this or anything. Right, right, I know. But it's shot almost like a found footage film. I could see that, but I feel like it almost is more of a budgetary constraint. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very possible. Another thing I noticed that ties this movie into other video nasties is the zooms. So many zooms. Yeah. Oh, I know. So, so weird. If you took a drink every time there was a zoom, then you would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so something else tonally weird is I wasn't sure if they were going for comedy at some points. because There's this one moment early in the film where Pat, who's the friend of... Gloria, and Gloria is the one who's going into the jungle to try to prove her thesis that cannibalism is not real. It never happened. So Pat is, they're in like some customs or like some travel office of some sort. And she's like, Hey, I need a shower to this random guy. And this random guy says, Hey, you can come back to my place for a shower. And then we cut to another scene. And then she just walks out of the guy's car. And it's like assumed she took him up on the offer of going to the shower. And that was a oh, very more than that. Yeah. Yeah. A little more than that. And cause she kissed him on the mouth. And I think random guy is a very nice way of putting it. He was a grotty old man. <laughs> <laughs> he looked, he was just like some scuzzy, dumpy middle-aged guy with the mustache of a 14 year old Mexican boy and a mullet. Yes. And then she closes as she's leaving and she kisses him on the mouth and then goes, try sharing sometime. So not oh, yeah. only was he <laughs> a grotty old bastard, but he was dirty and smelly. Oh man, I was, uh, I was checking out on that character at that point. I mean, and it really sets the tone for her character because she's putting out just so she can take a shower. Yeah. 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 That's to a was- Central American cop. Not healthy. That's what I was going to talk about. Like this scene, like establishes the characters really well. For example, th- when they're driving through the, not forest, but, like, through the town before they go to the forest, they, like, honk at some natives and, like, are like, hey, you're so, you're so stupid, get out of the street. And that really establishes that their character as, like, assholes who only care about themselves. And Gloria, the main character who is trying to prove her thesis that cannibalism does not exist, has no facial expressions ever. And I think that 
contributes to her character as being like detached from everything. But partially that's a performance issue, but partially that's her detachment emotionally from everything that's going on. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with you there, Dave. I think, you know, while she does seem kind of, uh, deadpan through a lot of the movie and flat, there are some sheets, some scenes where she does show some emotion, sometimes perhaps inappropriately or overdoes it. But I mean, she doesn't go through the whole thing like a zombie by any means. Yeah, that's true. There was one moment that I found particularly amusing. At this point, they've been captured by the cannibals and Gloria is sitting there listening to her brother, Rudy, talk about like how they're going to escape and it's going to be great. And then like, and his plan for their escape. And then we cut back to her and she's just like starts smiling. And I'm like, Oh, so she knows that his plan is bullshit. So I found that amusing. I think his plan was somewhere along the lines of, uh, as soon as we get a chance, run. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. But speaking of other funny moments, at one point, they're driving down the road in the forest, right when they first arrive in the forest. And then an iguana appears on the street, and they drive off the road to avoid the iguana. They are literally driven off the road by an iguana. Yeah, and, it's ridiculous. Because one of the girls is like, don't hit the iguana. And didn't they drop their anteater? At that? Did you guys say that? I swear they dropped <laughs> yeah. it out yeah. the side of the car. <laughs> he almost gets crushed by the tire, and she like grabs him out of the way at the last second. It looks totally unintentional. Like, he saw what was coming later and he wanted to get out of there and just <laughs> yeah nope she yeah, drags well. him back in this is this is a good time to bring this up holy fucking up. animal death and fucking like cruelty and shit like that you know you don't see that thing at the end of the movie that says no animals were harmed in the making of this movie it's like this movie <laughs> harmed a lot of animals you know that thing when they're trying to avoid the iguana that thing hops out and they're just dragging it by its throat while they're driving along in a jeep and it's like dragging along the ground and shit like that it's like, wow, that's pretty bad. And then as the movie goes on, it just gets worse and worse and worse. They had absolutely no respect for the uh, quote-unquote animal actors in this movie. And it made it hard to watch sometimes. There's just so much animal death. If you see an animal in the movie, it's likely going to die. In fact, the iguana that drives them off the road gets in like a fight with a snake later on. And I believe it wins, yeah. but still, still, yeah. is reincorporated for the purpose of animal death. Because they're like, hey, we have this iguana prop. Let's see what we can do with it later on. And it's like, it's an animal. Come on, guys. Something else interesting in this movie is... There's lots of like random shots of animals. Like there are shots of monkeys and trees. There are a lot of monkeys. So many monkeys. Shots of birds and trees. Shots of fish in a bowl. There are shots of like so many different random animals. Just a lot of animal inserts. This could be called animal inserts the movie. And a lot of it looks like stock footage, you know? Like just stuff to pad the runtime. But the the worst of which, the worst of which would be, well, there's two. There's, of course, that little animal that they dragged along the side of the Jeep gets up, ends up getting eaten by a snake, as it was intended. And this is totally fake. It's, I mean, it's not fake, it's real. But it's not like, you know, this isn't, this isn't happening naturally at all. This isn't David Attenborough. They just nailed the thing to a stake and dropped a snake next to it and started rolling tape on it. And I think that's bullshit. I mean, I get pissed off when someone steps on a cockroach in a movie and I think it's real. Cause you shouldn't kill shit just for entertainment. And this movie does it again and again and again. And sometimes it just does it for padding. Like, and the second, the second scene, which is also ridiculous, is they're going through the jungle at some point and they just happen to see a leopard eating one of those monkeys. It's like, what's oh, yeah. the point of showing that? It, it played no role whatsoever. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. I thought the leopard was going to, like, be a threatening character or something. But no, it just kind of happened. More animal yeah. death. Here you go. Yeah. I agree Dr. with Mike. It served absolutely no purpose to the actual film. Like, really, the where they hand over the anteater at the beginning, and the guy catches, it's like a butterfly or whatever, when they're on the boat heading out into the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. They, they say something like, uh, the weak... Uh, should be sacrificed for the strong or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That is as confronting and awful as that and Eda being, being killed by that boa and it just screams the whole time, as horrible as that was. I feel like that kind of served a purpose because it was going on from that, the theme of the weak are sacrificed for the strong. But everything after that, like they lop off the legs of a turtle that looks about a hundred yeah. years old and shit. Same with like they did it in cannibal holocaust as well yeah but in this actually. it doesn't add anything to the story whatsoever it's it is it's just like and that, filler. that snake scene as well you know it's like it's longer than the rape scene in irreversible and just <laughs> as cringeworthy in my opinion it goes on forever just watching this poor little thing scream while it's getting eaten and crushed by a snake it's just it's just showcasing the suffering of the animal you know and i understand why there's some of the animal death in cannibal holocaust but most of the animal death in Cannibal Holocaust is uh, it's in line with eating something, you know, so mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me as much. But in this movie, it's just it's just for entertainment, and it's the opposite of entertainment. It's disgusting. And yes. back to the point where whenever we'd see an animal insert, I'd be like, hope nothing bad happens to them because we know, and like two shots later, the animals are going to get eaten or destroyed in a horrible way. Yeah, and, you know, it really threw me off, too, because uh, there's a scene where Mike – the cokehead and this, this pat chick that they've met up with, uh, they're messing around. He's like, well, you want to mess around with a native girl? And then they look out, out by the river. There's like a native girl and a native boy. He's like, they've been playing with that turtle all day long. And it shows them sitting there playing with the turtle. And then they go out and I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to kill the turtle right away. And oh, the turtle's perfectly fine. That's surprising. The turtle survived. Of course, the native girl gets shot. And then like three scenes later, they're just chopping up the, the natives are chopping up that fucking turtle that I thought got away. <laughs> you know, animal left unkilled is yeah. crazy. But also something interesting is during the attempted rape scene, there's just like romantic music playing. And I'm like, what? This is very, what's the word? Tonally inconsistent. I believe that's, that's yeah. a good word for it. What's that scene when, when they've got the two kids playing with the turtle? That scene? Yeah, yeah, because Mike, who is the, like, cocaine-dealing friend of Pat, or, like, fuck buddy of Pat, is like, hey, let's go mess around with the native girl. And then the two of them run outside and, like, go to rape the kids, presumably. Yeah. And, and, like, well, I thought, of- yeah. I thought he was encouraging her to rape the girl or something yeah. along those lines. Because they're talking in bed, and he's like, oh, you just want, like, new experiences and blah, blah, blah. Takes them out to the kid, hands her the knife, and pushes the like hands pat the knife pushes the other tribal girl up against a tree and I thought he was wanting but then he says oh no that's kill her. I, th- I think that's what it was he you know she was supposed to like cut her and stuff too or some shit cuz Mike's a real sadistic prick and it seems like that was his intent you know cut her up and then we'll mess around with her or something I don't know but she was supposed to do it she got fed up and didn't do it but then the other kid who I think was a boy actually like started yelling and distracting him so the native girl ran away so Mike just shoots the native girl and this continues the trend that we're going to see throughout this entire film of Mike being crazy, but also Mike being crazy because of cocaine. Because every single 
thing Mike does is motivated by cocaine. That's his character motivation. On his character spreadsheet, under motivation, it just says cocaine. Because all of his actions, like, it turns out, the twist is in the movie, that the cannibals are only, like, crazy violent towards the people because... Mike just did a lot of torture to them because he was under the influence of cocaine. Yeah, to kind of flesh it out a little bit more for the listener, you've got these students that go down there to prove that cannibalism isn't real. They get kind of sidetracked by an iguana, and they they, they have to walk on foot. They run into two guys that are running from the natives. One of them's already injured. The other one is named Mike. And, like, in the first scene, this guy is snorting cocaine out of a little baggie around his neck. And he's always fucking angry. And they say, well, we're running from the natives. And he tells them this, this story about how, oh, well, we went down here to do, like, emerald prospecting or something like that. And then the natives went berserk and killed our guide, and now they're after us. And that's not really what happened in reality. Mike went down there, got all coked up, was pissed off he couldn't find any emeralds, and just started killing and mutilating villagers. And that kind of leads to them being in this group with these American teens, and now they are all linked together, and they're all being held accountable for what Mike did while he was high on cocaine. Yeah. I don't think it's just cocaine, though. Like, I agree to some extent, but definitely I think like he would have been fairly sober towards the <laughs> end um, where he was escaping, like dug that hole and escaped from the trap they had him in, had an opportunity to rescue some of the others and chose not to. Like that wasn't fueled by cocaine. That wasn't particularly violent. That was just like, like sociopathic possibly. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a sadistic, screwed up person regardless of the cocaine. I personally, I mean, I, I like the cocaine things. It just, it's so ridiculous to watch a guy sit there and saw off someone's penis and then you know, fucking do a quick toot. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. Like, you could play a great drinking game, just take a drink every time Mike does cocaine, uh, but then you'd be really messed up and <laughs> maybe not be able to take notes on the movie. I like how when, when Pat, you know, the Pat is the friend of the other two, and uh, when they meet up with Mike and Joe, like right off the bat, she's like, is that cocaine? Can I have some cocaine? And yeah. then he gives her some cocaine. And then, like, minutes later, they're fucking... That's how it works in real life, kids. <laughs> He's faster than Sam Groom in Deadly Eyes. But we know that Pat was, you know, uh, would put out for a shower. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if he got cocaine, then she's definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I invite her over for a cup of tea, and I'm sure she'll give <laughs> you something with you. Yeah. yeah. You just follow her around and wait for her to run out of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, Offer her directions or <laughs> every Uber lift she gets. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, so a thing we haven't talked about in this movie yet are the special effects. And I think that's worth talking about because we're talking about Pat. So how Pat dies is the natives, once the natives catch them, they hang her on hooks and... It looks pretty good. They they hang her and have her bleed out in kind of like a Saw 7 way. And I think all the effects look pretty good, partially because a lot of the effects are real, but also just in general. Like, at one point, Mike gouges out a native's eye. What back, do you mean they're real? With, yeah, back to this thing with Pat. Yeah, yeah that, it doesn't look like they meet hooker tits. And when she's allegedly hanging from her tits, her tits are in the normal tit position. She looks like she's just standing there with hooks through her tits. There doesn't look like she's hanging from them at all. Yeah, I, I agree. Think that, that was poorly executed. It's a stupid idea to begin with. Like, what, let's take the chick who's like sub A cup 
and put giant meat hooks through her tits and, and hang her by them. I don't get what the point of that is. And why does it kill her? They just needed her to die, and also they wanted her to go shirtless. Yeah, it feels exploitive and like almost like let's do something shocking just to shock and transgressive just to transgress, which this movie does a lot of. Yeah, However, we'd already seen her shirtless though. It's not like it added a great times. deal. Yeah, we yeah. need to see her shirtless more. Like in Cannibal Holocaust, we get a lot of pointless nudity. So what I'm saying is, this movie is trying to be like Cannibal Holocaust. So it's trying it's to failing. Yeah, and it's the, nudity, the nudity in Cannibal Holocaust makes sense. The nudity in this movie doesn't. And again, if you're gonna, you know, I hate to sound crude, but if you're going to cast someone just to be the horror that shows her tits six times in the movie, could you do a little better than her? <laughs> oh my gosh, let's put that on the mic quote board. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, it's just like they put no effort. I mean, that's just an, it's, it's a microcosm of what they did with this movie. It's just a quick, cheap, low effort attempt at imitation. Mike, you Maybe understand that's... they chose her for her acting. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the reasons she had so many issues was that people didn't find her so attractive. People were always giving a shit about her tiny tits. So she put out. Could be. Wow. She talks about her daddy issues at one point in the film, doesn't she? She went yeah, down she the hall. Yeah. She, yeah. She's like, my dad died and he didn't even ask for me. And I was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> I didn't notice that. When does this happen? When, when um, that, 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 like, it's like, looks like an anthill with a oh, hole in the top. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, after Gloria and Pat are trapped in the anthill and Pat is killed. And at this point, Mike has been decapitated, uh, quite literally decapitated, because the cap on his head just gets cut off. But uh, well, that's not the worst that happens to him, though. I mean, you're ta- you're still talking about the effects, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they do. I have to say, I'll give this this movie one big up: is that the penis amputation scene in this movie is quite a bit better than the one in Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, it watching it made the base of my dick hurt. Yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty well done, actually. Oh, it did nothing like, for me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's only like one two second shot of the penis, so. It's, but it's, it's well done. You can't dwell on that very long, you know, no matter how you do the special effects, it's not going to look real. So, right. you know, you got to do, a, you got to do a quick shot of it, but it was well done. And that was the only time in the movie where I thought that's some good acting right there. Cause that really looked like the authentic scream of someone who was having his dick cut off with a doll machete. <laughs> yeah, it did. I thought the uh, part where he got scalped was actually pretty well done too. Yep. I agree. Even when they, they cut off one of his hands too, after he escapes that one, I liked that too. Oh yeah. Anyway, there are lots of good effects, but also something else is the editing. Like they, for example, whenever they're about to cut a person open or like torture somebody, we get a lot of like really quick cuts. They, they obviously know how to pace editing. Unfortunately, a lot of the editing suffers due to the need for filler and the filler comes in the form of jumping back and forth from the city to the jungle to the city, et cetera, et cetera. But the editing for tension is fine. I never felt any tension throughout this movie, to be honest. No, I didn't either, but it was... I'm always just waiting. You're always... It seems like the whole thing is set up almost intentionally to be you're always just waiting to see what kind of uh, grotesque thing is going to happen next. Yeah, there's no tension, but 
I think that they're in the right direction in terms of pacing and editing for tension. So if the content of the film were better put together, then the editing would work well. But anyway, anyway. So a friendly native helps Gloria to escape, Gloria being the main girl who's trying to prove that cannibalism is a myth. But then the friendly native dies in his own trap. And then Gloria says, <laughs> oh, no, don't die now, because he was helping her escape. And I found that very funny and very uh, indicative of her character. Yeah, what a selfish bitch. Yeah, I know. And then, long story short, some random motorboat saves her, and then she can goes back and she's like, hey, guess what? Cannibalism actually doesn't exist. And then we get that classic 1980s freeze frame of her face just in complete deadpan, giving a thousand yard <laughs> stare as the credits. With, with the New York music. With the New York music. <laughs> it's truly amazing. But that's roughly all I had to touch on. In this film. So the editing is competent when they're trying to cut for tension and the special effects are fine. And I think it kind of has an animal abuse method message like Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it keeps showing these animals and comparing the animals to the people. However, that message is completely undercut by all the animal abuse that happens in the film. So for, and just in general, the performances are terrible and Everything looks terrible. Like it looks like it was shot on like a camcorder and the quality is just horrific. The, a lot of the scenes have no motivation, no direction and Dave, it feels wandering and killing. Dave, Dave, yeah. Dave. I'm going for my final review. Yeah, but you're not going to bring up the hair. Actually, fun fact. When I was watching this while slightly inebriated, I, the second the hair appeared, I jumped up and ran over to the screen and pointed and shouted out, hair on the lens. <laughs> so then whenever the hair on the lens appeared, everybody in the group just burst out laughing. Did did you follow that up with how, uh, and then you got called out for the hair on the lens and repulsion that you totally ignored? Yes, I actually did. I told them about how you guys give me a hard time for liking repulsion but not liking this. <laughs> Cause but, they, the, the, when, when we watched this before, we just talked about it briefly and Dave was like, there was a hair on the lens. The whole movie sucks because there's a hair on the lens. <laughs> there's no excuse for a hair on the lens. That means the movie is just fucking, it's just worthless. Everything about this sucks. There's a hair on the lens. You let that, you let that happen. It's just worthless. And then a couple of weeks later, we all get together and watch this fucking shit show called Repulsion that it was Dave's <laughs> idea. I hated it. Dave thinks it's just a wonderful movie. And then right at the end, what do you see? a fucking hair on the lens in one of the scenes and Dave totally ignores it, acts like it's not there, doesn't believe us when we tell him it's there. So I go back and look at it during the show and I'm like, oh my God, there actually was a hair on the lens. But once again, like I said, it's all context dependent. For me, I liked the rest of Repulsion. So little mistakes like that are not going to bother me all that much if I like the overall film. With Campbell Ferox, the rest of the film was bad. So at the hair on the lens, it's like whipped cream on top, you know? Sure, sure. So what do you give it, Dave? Two out of ten. Ah. Ah. Oh, boy. All right. So, Jordan, what do you got to say about this? Wow, this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that really bothered me is 
none of the main characters have very much agency in the film. Like when they're deciding, do we turn back or do we go on? Like Gloria should, she's there for her dissertation. She should care whether or not they find the people. And she's just like, Oh, whatever. Fuck it. Let's flip a coin. So they, they leave them the most important decision that anybody makes in the movie to the flip of a coin. And that just shows how little attention to detail or care for plot that this film had. That stuff didn't bother me so much. Like I did kind of think afterwards, like when the car got bogged, they decided to just, they had no guide to just go into the forest, sort of hoping to bump into the tribe more or less. Like they didn't really Mm -hmm. have that much of an idea. And the coin flip, you know, I don't know. It didn't bother me so much. I know heaps of academics that I feel like would make decisions like that just because they're doing a thesis doesn't mean that they're great decision makers. Yeah. You know, I think they, it's almost, it seems like maybe they were trying to be deep, not, not the characters, but you know, the people who wrote and directed that scene were trying to be deep, like, Oh, you know, they're going to flip a coin and they don't realize, you know, the, the gravity of the situation and the impact that going forward is going to have on them. Ooh. Could have been a fate thing too, a fatalism thing. Yeah. I think it's just laziness to be honest. That's what it felt like to me. Uh, this movie has some really weird dialogue choices as well, like shitface. They use that one <laughs> like four or five times. Oh my god, and, twat? Yeah, twat. Yeah. I had almost never heard that used as a pejorative to call a woman, except in this film. It's the only time I can recall. Oh, well, really? there's there's that that's that age difference thing, perhaps. Because I mean, that's I I've always heard twat. You either that's a direct reference to their uh genitalia or just calling a woman that, you know, kind of like cunt or something like that. But I've never yeah. seen it in a movie other than this one. Yeah, same here. And so much. Like, it's not a one-off where you're like, teehee, he says it again and again. Yeah. yeah, he calls her a twat like eight times. I didn't actually count, <laughs> but it, I think it's like and, eight. And it's when they very first meet because he's like, yeah, they they ate they ate our guide and, you know, they first meet and she, he's telling her what happened. He's like, well, yeah, and the the Portuguese guy, our guide, they ate him. And she's like, wait a minute, cannibalism isn't real. He's like, shut up, twat. Yeah. (laughs) So casual about it. I think that's like part of his character, though, like his misogynist character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's not the only one who uses it. The brother says, calls uh, Pat a twat at one point. Really? (laughs) Yeah. When they're waiting for her, uh, in the, there's a scene where they're waiting for her to come back from the shower. And he, he uses it too. Because he's like, oh, I wish, th- I hope that twat will get left behind or something like that. What? Oh my god! Keep keep in mind. I mean, you got to look at this. You know, in the context, there's two things you got to look at. Number one, it's like made in 1980, 81, something like that, when things were not so nice. And number two, this is this is what Italians think Americans talk like. Yeah, I can see that. One of the effects that I thought was really bad was when they're like making this incision into Joe's corpse to like cut him open and eat him. There's also like, I don't get the motivation there. Like they find this sick. Okay. Let me set it up. So the natives come back at one point, some of them come back, the warriors or whatever. And they're like investigating the village and they go in, they find this dead body of a white guy who was like, they don't know what's wrong with him or why he died. And so they drag him out into the middle of the camp and then they cut him open and they're going to eat him. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like you come home and find a corpse in your kid's bedroom, and it's like they, they, they're totally nonplussed by it. They're like, oh, sweet, more food. 
They just drag them outside. And I, I agree with you on that effect, too. It looks like someone's taking a Sharpie marker and just dragging it across his stomach. Yeah, and it's so jarring, too, because then immediately after that, the effects get quite good when they're actually, like, ripping the organs out of, like, a corpse. You know, those effects were really well done, so it's just that much more disappointing. Yeah. You know, I think it's a film that's going to stick with you for a while, whether that's a good thing or not. I don't I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, there's just, like, the animal violence is, I don't know, there's too much of it, and it's pointless. Um it's just a film that Cannibal Ferrex is a film that left me just really conflicted, I guess. I didn't enjoy it. It had like, I don't know. It's almost a film like you would watch only to see the gore scenes because you just, you need to see some gore and you can't get it anywhere else. But now we have the internet. If you really want to see some gore, you can find way worse gore than this. Like if that's the feeling that you want, that cringy feeling you get when you, cause like when you, for example, when you, they're butchering the turtle in this scene, it's like stomach churning, you know, oh, yeah. maybe, the Foley maybe, work on that made it a thousand times worse too. Yeah. And maybe you're attracted to that feeling. You know, I could see how you could be cause I'm attracted to that scared feeling that a horror movie gives you. So if you want that feeling, like there's just better ways to get it. I feel like, than sitting through all the filler that is involved in watching this film. So, like, the only redeeming quality of it could be that you want to get that feeling, but there's just so many better ways to do it now. Why subject yourself to this film? So I give it, like, a 1.2 out of 10. Don't fucking wow. watch oh. it. <laughs> I, have, I have never heard Jordan say anything negative about a movie like that ever before. <laughs> Same here. as a 1.2. Oddly specific. Yeah, Jordan, <laughs> I think it would be more of a 1.23 out of 10. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if yeah, you want to you, 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 like <laughs> you gave it a lower rating than Dave did, Jordan. Yeah, I really hated it. I really, wow. like, it just made me feel fucking sleazy watching it. Like, this movie uh-huh. is so dirty and greasy and just to cash in and low down that it just makes you feel oily just watching it. Like, I'm going to go take a shower after we're done here. Wow. Well, you know, I can't disagree with you there. So, Alicia, what's your take on this movie? Yikes. Well, I love dirty, sleazy torture porn, so I feel like every week this is just you guys being like, yeah, not that great a film, boo, one star, and me being like, yeah, I loved it. I really genuinely liked this film. Um, I preferred it to Cannibal Holocaust, personally. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's controversial. Oh. I think I think there I had a lot of issues with Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, we've been doing it the whole time. We've got to do it. I'm going to sort of compare the two a little bit. But I felt like in Cannibal Holocaust there was just a I don't know there was a lot more chit chat where I became sort of a bit disengaged in the film. Whereas this one, I felt like the action was a bit more consistent. Like I felt like I paid attention basically the whole time. Whereas um, in Cannibal Holocaust the where I guess they're talking sort of at the beginning of the film with the found footage. I found that incredibly boring and this, I I liked the whole time. Um, I thought, I mean, we've kind of, we've talked about it a fair bit, but I thought Mike was a really good villain. He seemed genuinely unhinged through the whole thing and just wildly violent and lashed out at anyone. Um, Well, you know, I've, I'm with you there. I mean, I love the Mike character. I wish, I wish there was another movie with Mike in it. I yes. think, I think the Mike character is great. It's very endearing. 
Yeah. And admittedly, he's not exactly multidimensional. Like, he likes coke and hurting people. That's about the extent of <laughs> what he's into. But I, I thought he was great. He was, he was fun to hate. And I really loved the scenes where he got his comeuppance. Um, I thought his death was a little bit weak at the end. I thought they were going to scalp him alive or something, but they sort of, they gave him instant death right there. Like, admittedly, yeah. sure. They'd cut off his cock and he'd suffered a bit, but I thought his death would be drawn out. I, I had heard that the film was called um, Make Them Die Slowly or something like that in other countries. Yeah. Didn't make him die slowly. No. Um, so I didn't find that as satisfying as I'd I was, hoped it would be. I was a bit let, let down by that too, to be honest, because I know the first time I saw it, I figured, you know, right away when they put his head through that table, you know what's going to happen is they're going to cut off the top of his head and eat his brains especially if you've ever seen Faces of Death. And uh, I was really surprised that when they did that, that while they were eating his brains, there was no reaction shot of him dying or something like that. You just see his mouth open and he's dead. And that was a bit disappointing. Even if the brain stuff was good special effects, it was, it was a disappointing end for the character. Yeah, it was very quick. Also kind of funny that they've got a table specially designed for cutting the top off people's heads, but whatever, I'm not here to question that. I thought that was really good. We've talked about the music before and um, how it wasn't sort of as atmospheric as I think they were aiming for. Um, but I it didn't mind it. I liked all the synth. Sorry, Dave, say it again. It didn't match the tone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that didn't really bother me. Some of the foley I thought was a little bit over the top, just like really. And, yeah, every slap, and there was so much slapping, was just like so accentuated. <laughs> There was the bit where the um, the cannibals come out to eat Joe's body and the munching noises they make, I recognized instantly from like old video games that I'd played um, oh. over you. Same at the beginning where um, they the gangsters kill the guy who goes to Mike's apartment looking for him. They put a silencer on the gun, shoot him, and then there's a loud gunshot. <laughs> <laughs> they obviously the Foley artist just got a little bit overexcited. But they didn't also, bother there's me too a lack much. of Foley in some places. Like, a lot of things are missing sound effects. Yeah. And some well, of them are just bad. Like, when they're on the on the ferry going up the river, for instance, the Foley effect for the boat is just... Is all you hear. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really notice that so much, but... Yeah. So Some of the Foley... Have you guys talked about the fight scene Foley? No. Foley was amazing. Yeah, the very short fight scene. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, the punches, because the fight scene itself is t terribly done. The punches only connect with air, and it's very clear they only connect with air, and the sound effect of the punching is the same for every punch. Yeah. And the other thing which we've already kind of talked about, I suppose, is the animal violence. So in Cannibal Holocaust... Wait, have we talked about the animal violence? I don't remember. <laughs> we talked about it so much. That was a joke. <laughs> sorry. Um... Dave is trying his hardest to do callback to last week. <laughs> yeah, like comparing Cannibal Holocaust to Ferox, uh, I guess I had a lot more issue with the violence in Cannibal Holocaust because it was also, it was like human on animal violence a lot. Um, uh, like there was that sort of monkey thing that they strangle in Cannibal Holocaust. And that was just, it was so confronting and really, really awful. Whereas in this one, it was a bit more animal on animal violence, um, which was still awful to watch, but at least, you know, 
they tied up that anteater and they definitely orchestrated it a bit more than I think they should have. But that would have happened in the jungle. Whereas uh, in Cannibal Holocaust, I feel like they, they made the actors murder an awful lot of animals, which, which I, I really took it's, issue with. It is a profound difference, you know, one or the other. To me, in my opinion, just because I know it's orchestrated, it makes it just as bad. But I can see how uh, in a vacuum, you know, an animal eating an animal is not nearly as disturbing as someone hacking a snake up for no reason. But also in yeah. this movie, in Cannibal Ferox, we get the guy stabbing the pig. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that pig, it's like, she, she's running around in the jungle for no reason for anyone who wakes up and falls into a hole they split up looking for. When Mike and Pat find Gloria in the hole, it's designed to trap a pig, and there's already a pig trapped in there. So, number one, the hole is like 24 inches deep. There's no reason she shouldn't have been able to hop out of it. Number two, he jumps in there to get her out, and he decides before he can do that, first he has to stab the pig. And we're not talking about, like, a normal pig. We're talking about something the size of a fucking pot belly pig. It's like a four-pound piglet. And he has to stab the hell out of it before he can get her out of there. It's retarded. Yeah, totally unnecessary. So that that was probably my biggest issue I had with the film. Um, one other thing that I saw sort of on IMDb was that it was in – the language was Italian and Spanish. But watching the film, if it was an English dub, I swear their mouths matched up perfectly with the dialogue. So here's, here's how it works. With, with, cause there's other movies like this too when they do this. The Italian people will speak Italian and they'll dub it in English. The English actors, or the English speaking actors will, will speak in English and then they'll dub, dub it over. Like for instance, uh, a connection between this and Cannibal Holocaust is they've both got Robert Kerman in it who's a porn star. He plays Detective Rizzo, or Lieutenant Rizzo in this and he plays the professor in Cannibal Holocaust. And in this movie, you're not hearing his voice. You're hearing a voiceover actor dubbing the lines on top of him who's already speaking English. So it's almost like they don't even record any of the audio. They just dub it all back in over afterwards anyways. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, the dubbing, like, in some scenes, it's really obvious, I think, that they, that it was dubbed, but in others, it is, it does match up pretty well, and it was well done. So, I think it's sort of a plus and a minus to the film. Yeah. Yeah. And that was pretty much all I wanted to say about it. I, I genuinely really enjoyed this film. I would watch it again. I give it six and a half out of ten. Cool. Well, I'm glad it turned you on to something that you actually enjoyed that you had never seen before. Yeah, definitely. Like every week. Yeah. Like, I, do, I enjoy them all. I recommend everybody go and watch these films. Yeah. I, I love you're, them. You're the new Jordan, Alicia. How does it feel? <laughs> Jordan can't be the Jordan anymore. Oh, no. Not after 1.2. Bloody hell. I'm going to have to so, go hard on movies now. <laughs> How can you possibly? So this movie, for me... uh this isn't something I knew when I was younger, like a lot of these films are. Uh, I saw Cannibal Holocaust several years ago, and reading up on it, I found out there were other cannibal movies. I looked at some of them, and this is one of them. You know, it's it's your typical Italian movie. I'm not not a big fan of the whole Italian video nasty things in terms of quality. You know, like the acting is it's just standard. They're, the acting's the same in all of them. It's kind of bad, but at the same time, it's all dubbed, so it makes it really hard to evaluate. But even though you can't evaluate it, it's still pretty much impossible to appreciate it regardless because it just comes off as bad. So who knows if they did a good job or not. Odds are they didn't. 
but there was a scene where Joey did a voiceover telling the true story of what happened. You know, when Mike's not around, he tells him what really happened. And they go through and they act along with his voiceover. And the acting in that couple of segments was as bad as like what you'd see. It was almost like watching an episode of Drunk History, if you've ever seen that, where they're just kind of going along with what Joey is saying. And there's like a scene where Joey says, well, I tried to stop Mike. And he just kind of like flails his arms at Mike and Mike kind of girly pushes him away. It's... <laughs> It's, 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 it's fucking hilarious, actually, but the acting, not that great. The old, like I said, the only good acting is when Mike gets his, his dick chopped off. It actually looks like he got his dick chopped off from the reaction on his face. Cinematography, there's, you, you can't even call this cinematography. They just <laughs> get the action, they get the action in the frame of the camera, and then you're good to go. Hair or no hair, it doesn't matter. There's lots of zooms, though. So the many crap zooms. Yeah. yeah. It's, it doesn't, it's not a good looking movie at all. The gore and effects, most of them are pretty good. There's some stupid stuff like them cutting open Joey's stomach or the stupid thing with the hooks through the tits, which is, it's a bad idea and the execution is bad. And that, that sucks. That just didn't look realistic and it made no sense. I still don't understand how getting hooks through your tits would kill you. People do that for fun nowadays. <laughs> uh, the whole concept of this movie is, is kind of dumb because they're, this chick is going out there to prove that cannibalism was never real. How the fuck are you going to prove a negative? Are you in college? You should know that you can't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, so. it's funny because she's like, I'm just going to go to this one tribe to prove a universal statement. Yeah. And, and then, then at, at the, the end, end they're, they're like, she did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth, though. At the end, they're like, yep, she did it. She proved there's no such thing as cannibalism. It's like, how the fuck she do that? She went out there, and according to her, her canute got tipped over, and everyone got at her. Yeah, so well, that's her story. She proved cannibalism doesn't exist. She did that so well that they gave her a medal, a fucking medal. <laughs> and then you get the thousand yard stare from her again, too. Oh it's just, but, yeah. So, so all of academia is now as stupid as she is, apparently. So she gets her doctorate for proving a negative, but they never explain how the fuck she proved it. I never understood what the trip out there, how it was supposed to prove that. It made no sense. So that was dumb as hell. There's too much animal death in this movie. I don't like seeing even little bugs getting stomped. Like there's a spider that gets stomped on in this movie. I know they really stomped on a spider. No, I'm not a big fan of spiders. And yeah, sometimes I step on them, but I don't do it for the fun of it or to entertain people. And that's what they were doing. And I do not like that. You know, I, that's a big no, no in my book. So fuck you for doing that with your movie. And, it's just like they were trying to imitate. This is Umberto Lenzi, I believe, is a guy name, guy's name, and he was trying to imitate Diodato, who did Cannibal Holocaust. And everything in this movie is a direct attempt to imitate that movie. That's all the movie is. Uh, Diodato, when he made Cannibal Holocaust, he was using the animal death in it and the graphic scenes, like the turtle being butchered and stuff like that, to kind of suck the audience in into believing that what they were going to see with the people, because it would look just as realistic, must also be real. I mean, let's not forget that the guy that made Cannibal Holocaust was held on charges of murder until he could produce proof that the actors were still alive. And that's what Lindsay is trying to do with all these stupid animal death scenes, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't do it. It's just animals eating animals. It's all orchestrated. It's theatrical. And it doesn't, it doesn't add that gravity to the to human deaths in the movie the way that it does in Cannibal Holocaust. So when Diodato does it, it's technique. When Lindsay does it, it's just a fucking gimmick and it's a waste. And I hated it. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So this is simply, in my opinion, nowhere near as good as Cannibal Holocaust, but 
There's something that makes you keep watching the movie. At no point in the movie am I sitting here going, man, I really want this to end or what? You know, I want, I want the suffering of the animals to end, but the movie itself, I wanted to keep following it right up to the end. And a lot of that was probably the Mike character because he was a lot of fun. I think everyone should see this once. Just be prepared to see some unfortunate stuff with animals. Six out of 10. You know, I think that your review actually made me realize something. Like, the reason I think that I hate this movie so much is because even though, like, I, there's so much to hate about it, I did feel the same way to where I wasn't like, just God, please end. You know, I did sit through it, the whole thing and I was sort of entertained. So maybe that's why I felt so sleazy. Yeah. You see, it turned, it took, it put you, put you in front of the mirror, Jordan, and it made you see yourself. Yeah, geez, and and I oh did not God. like I did not like what I saw. Oh God! <laughs> Jordan looked into the void. Camel Ferox forced him to look into the void, and the void stared uh, back. Oh no, I'm having an existential crisis, you guys. Yeah. Well, there it is. That's that's the impact of art, you know. It can really change you. Now you got to think about something, Jordan. So. Oh shit. <laughs> every everybody listening. If you can do us a favor and leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform it is you're using to listen to this, I'd really appreciate it. And I think everyone else would too. That kind of helps get us more exposure and more people listen to our podcast and, you know, more people can hear about these wonderful movies. And next week, we're going to watch a movie entitled The Children in an attempt to make Dave's head explode. Oh, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of it before and. Never gotten all the way through it, so I guess I'll have to now. Yeah, take that, Dave. Okay. A <laughs> L- little bit of payback for the, uh, it, it, on behalf of the, whoever submitted the screener. I can't remember their name now. Jeff Romero. Hey. So this one's for you, Jeff. Alicia, have you seen this movie? Heard of it, perhaps? No, I never heard of it. No. Jordan? Yeah, I've ne- I don't believe I've ever seen or he- I've never heard of it to my knowledge either. So, no, oh, cool. I, li- I like it when you guys are seeing stuff for the first time, and I get that raw, visceral reaction from you, and then you give it a one point two. <laughs> all right, that's all I've got. You guys got anything you want to add? Nah, see you later. Yeah, see everybody. Adios. See you. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? <laughs>